Money, money, I want more money. True bear markets are like water torture. They just drip, 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 and they just drive you insane. Need a little help understanding the current investment environment? Yeah, whereas a correction is more of like a sharp punch to the face Correct. or something. We'll take you to the corner of Pennsylvania Avenue and Wall Street. Yeah, there you go. Buy high, sell low is my motto <laughs> on all of these things. Search for the Politico Money Podcast wherever you listen with me, Ben White. Welcome to Off Message. I'm Isaac Dover. Oh, we're on the record, so I have we to are be on very, the record. We have to be very careful. That's okay. Here. The microphone's in your face. It is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think there were times where I, I rebelled against sort of the the label, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it shaped me. The a label little. of you're the mayor's son. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, um, uh, you know, even today, you know, I don't like labels. I don't like partisan labels. It's it, I hate. You know the idea that you can pigeonhole somebody or put them in a box, and that all, all of a sudden defines who they are. I think we're that's very millennial of you. <laughs> probably, <laughs> I think we're just so much more complicated than that. Today's guest, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. Suarez was elected last year. He's forty, part of the next generation of political leadership in this country, and the youngest Latino in office in that prominent a position. His father, who is also mayor, is Cuban, born in Cuba. He's a registered Republican, but elected in a nonpartisan election. He did not vote for Trump, he told me, but he said he's open to voting for him in the next election. Maybe. He's in charge of a city where years ago they diluted the power from the mayor's office, and he's fighting to get it back. He's in the middle of one of the most important presidential and non-presidential swing states. Mar-a-Lago isn't far. So, a lot to discuss, and that's why I was glad we were able to sit down and spend the time especially with Florida in the middle of intense races for governor and Senate going on right now, and Suarez trying to find his way through. Remember to subscribe, rate us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or however you're listening. Tell a friend, tell a coworker, tell everyone you know, and email me your thoughts at Isaac at Politico.com. That's I-S-A-A-C at Politico.com. And follow me on Twitter at Isaac Dover. So much more to come. And now, my conversation with Francis Suarez. Yeah, so you're a Generation Xer, yes. the end of it. Correct. Uh-huh. And what does that do for you as a, the end of a Generation Xer, but wanting to see yourself as a millennial almost? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I actually think of myself as a sort of a next generation elected official because um, my emergence as mayor sort of uh, was at the tail end of my dad's generation. Right. Um, which began, interestingly, when he was a little younger than I am. He was 36 years old when he was mayor. And I jokingly tell him that, he uh, he looked like he was forty, and I, who am forty, looked like I was thirty six. <laughs> so, like, if I'm thirty six, so uh, we 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 have a laugh about that. But what's interesting is that he was first of his generation mayor, yeah. first Cuban mayor, which was interesting. Born in Cuba, born in Cuba, um, second uh, Latin mayor because his predecessor was from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. Mayor Foray. Um, But it was an interesting turning point. They're both interesting inflection and turning points for the city. One, you know, this emergence of uh, immigrant Latin. Um, Puerto Rican Cuban influence in the city and then uh, the sons of those people essentially uh, which were born in Miami I mean I'm the first as far as we know the first Miami born mayor of Miami in 121 year history of the city it's crazy so nobody's been able to debunk that yet well it actually makes sense if you think about it because um, if you think about the city it's relatively young Uh, we were um, I started going back and how I came to this conclusion I started going back and I said well 
if my dad was uh, mayor of Miami uh, and he was uh, Cuban born, 1985. So you go back before that, Maurice was there for 12 years. So you go back to 1973, he was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, and you start going back and back and you say, wait a second, this could actually happen. And then when you start thinking about it from the other side, from uh, 1897 or 96, when the city was created, you start thinking, well, to be mayor, you have to be what, 25, 30 years old at least, right? <laughs> so you, you're, that puts you into the 1930s. Yeah. So you start compressing both sides of the, of of it and uh we we literally have not been able to find someone that was born in the city um uh, there's only so many mayors right there's only there's 33 mayors um and so uh we think and i think i'm the first miami born mayor which is interesting because that is again it's another inflection point for the city where uh the city is um uh you know able to nurture its own talent yeah. and and like a real place in the american landscape right absolutely. not just like some place Correct. where people go for vacation or, right. whatever. And feel or like retirement that's, well or and retirement. that's like with florida overall or retirement point, right absolutely yeah no doubt and i think that that is a again i think that is a, a an interesting part of our story because it really influences the future of our story yeah. right i think the future of our story is um that we used to be uh, uh 20 years ago when i was 20 coming out of college, uh, an intellectual talent exporter. You know, you, you would, you would, you know, go to high school down here. If you get good grades, you'd go up north to school and then you would stay up north. You'd stay in Boston or New York or DC or, or you'd go to the Middle East or you'd go somewhere else. Um, now, uh, what we're seeing is that millennials of which I am not one <laughs> by a few years uh, are staying in Miami by and large, uh, people in my generation, generation Xers, uh, you know, uh, 38 to 45 year olds are either coming back um, or are staying. And then, of course, for a variety of reasons, we're attracting a lot of wealth, like hyper-wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, a lot of it from Latin America, <clears throat> South America, right? I, I think it's really from everywhere. We're yeah. getting them really from everywhere. And the reason why we're getting them from the U.S. Yeah. Uh, because of the tax law. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, states like Texas and Florida are benefiting from a new tax law that does not allow state income taxes to be deducted from federal income taxes. So you have a flight capital uh, based on that, if you think about the New York Miami comparison, um, you know, M- New York is, is, uh, the weather's colder, the cost of living is higher, uh, the city's denser. And now on top of all that, you've got to pay an extra 10, 13% in income taxes because, uh, you don't deduct your state taxes. So, I mean, I grew up in New York and Miami was <clears throat> again for vacation. Right. And, and I think, but I think now people are doing that analysis and there's, right. you know, sort of the way I did it. And they're saying, wait a second, we got to really take a hard look at yeah. Miami because the um, economic ecosystem in the city is changing dramatically. Um, the Kaufman Foundation ranked as number one in startups in the nation. Uh, and so uh, now we're trying to get, um, so we're sort of trying to graduate in, uh, from being a startup capital uh, to being a, a place where you can scale up, which is, a, of course, a very big um, exponential difference. Um, What's it like? You were eight years old when your father yeah, was elected? Yeah, 1985, yeah. What's it like growing up with a father as mayor? It's wild. It's a wild experience, but it, it certainly... It's wild helped. how? It's wild because it's not usual. I mean, I, I, if, uh, just as an example, you know, when I... Uh, uh, was in uh, classes, uh, oftentimes there'd be a police officer standing outside of my classroom. Um, that's not normal, uh, not a normal way to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, you, your, your identity was derivative. It wasn't like you're, you're Francis Suarez, it was you're the mayor's son. Right. So, you know, it casts a bit of a shadow. Uh, 
You know, my dad was uh, someone who uh, had a great story. You know, he's a ninth of 14 kids, came to this country with nothing um, at 12 years old, uh, studied in high school, uh, got a full scholarship to Villanova University, yeah. uh, presidential scholarship, uh, graduated summa cum laude, um, mechanical engineering, and then got two graduate degrees from Harvard and came down to Miami. It's a real slouch. Yeah, he's a slacker. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, I mean, and then he was the first Cuban mayor ever in the history of Miami. So he certainly was someone that, uh, had accomplished a, a great deal, um, professionally, academically, uh, politically, and uh, <clears throat> being his son uh, was something that, uh, but for him being such a good father, and he and he really emphasized being a good father or being a good everything else, um, might have been much more difficult for me. And you're how old when he's done being mayor? You're... Oh, 16. So yeah. those, those, those teenage years. So you had a you know? cop following you around when you were a teenager? Well, we had dignitary <laughs> protection when, uh, particularly if there was a credible threat on the mm -hmm. mayor. Um, uh, you know, we, my dad was very outspoken against the, um, uh, Colombian, uh, drug lords mm -hmm. and, and that, uh, did not that would create him. some threats. That yeah. would create some threats. And, and so, uh, in that time, which was in the mid eighties and the early nineties. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, he certainly, uh, there were, there was one threat that they were, that they had put a Sicario in a, uh, container to kill the governor of the state of Florida and the mayor of the city of Miami. So, uh, you know, our, our, uh, internal police or SIS, special investigation services, dignitary protection in the city of Miami, take that those things very sure. seriously. Do you find yourself rebelling against him then when you're that age or, or beyond that, right? Oh, well, we're on the record, so I have we to are be on very, the record. We have to be very careful. That's okay. Here. The microphone's in your face. It is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean I think there were times where I, I rebelled against sort of the the label. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it shaped me the a label little. of you're the mayor's son. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, um, uh, you know, even today, you know, I don't like labels. I don't like partisan labels. It's it, I hate, you know, the idea that you can pigeonhole somebody or put them in a box and that mm -hmm. all, all of a sudden defines who they are. I think we're, that's very millennial of you. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think we're just so much more complicated than that. And I think that uh, we should embrace that complexity and that diversity of thought. And I think we should stop. I think it's a big problem that we have in politics, by the way, nationally. We should stop trying to pigeonhole each other and put each other in neat little boxes when everything that I know about people is is not neat, but, but in a good way. You know what I mean? I, I always say that you don't know someone until you know their story. I just gave you a little bit about my dad's story and my own story. And I think it should inform people about me and, and about him. But I think uh, we should strive to know people's stories rather than say, hey, the easy way out is to put them in this little box and then they must think this way about all these other things. But do you get to a point where you think like, I don't want to have anything to do with politics? Absolutely. Like yes. So how long does that last? Uh, my <laughs> my late 20s? No. Uh, it, it lasted a long time. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Was it because you were pushing back against doing what your father did or was it because of the, the, the experience you saw him have? I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah. I think it was a little bit of both. I think, uh, uh, you know, I saw a person who on my side of the ledger, I mean, without the cameras, without the microphones, was someone who was not only a great father, but uh, lived and breathed uh, his service. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I mean that in, in even the most minute things. Um, you know, he was ethical to a fault mm -hmm. um, in everything that he did and represented to me um, in my presence. 
And, and so he lived the responsibility of being mayor. And even when he wasn't mayor before and after, he lived it um, in the way that he lived his life. Uh, he felt like he had to live. Uh, uh, I think he felt that he was expected to be and should be at a higher standard. And uh, I got to see that very, very close up. So when somebody or if somebody would criticize him, uh, it, it did not really jive with what I knew mm-hmm. of him. And so uh, it was hard to see and hard to watch. As you get older, you realize criticism is kind of a part of life. Yeah, and certainly a part of politics. It's certainly a part. Of, it's a huge part of politics. That's and it, my job. Well, and in 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 a in a and you know in in a internet based world and in a in a a blogosphere world, mm-hmm. it becomes an even greater part, and it's one that you have to accept, um, you know, come to terms with, and 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 to some extent be comfortable with if you want to do this. And now your mayor and your father. Is a commissioner. Yes. And the commissioners have a lot of power in Miami Dade. Right? Okay. They, you say they so. Um, I, I think no. they would argue that they do. <laughs> is that tricky? No, I don't think it is at all. It's actually wonderful. Uh, it's actually very helpful. I mean, it, I can pick up the phone and call him. We give each other advice. Well, uh, you could pick up the phone and call any of the commissioners, I would assume, right? I, I could pick up the phone and call and thank <laughs> the mayor. Actually, all 13 of them supported me in my campaign for mayor. Um, some sooner than others. But, uh, but it, where is he on that list? The, at that, oh, he, the he was up there. He was up there. He was up there. <laughs> I got some funny stories about that stuff when I ran for commissioner the first time, but he, uh, he's a trip, but he, uh, no, it's a wonderful relationship. It's, it's, I think it's in to the public's benefit, um, that I have a good relationship with all County commissioners, like you said. And, um, you, you know, we're not in this business. Uh, we shouldn't be in this business to make enemies. You're in this business to, to, um, build bridges so that you can serve better and more effectively. I think one thing that I remember learning years ago about Miami and was it surprised me is how dispersed power is and the mayor's office is not a strong yeah. uh, mayor's office and that's something you want to do something about. Yeah. I, 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 we are in a moment of rethinking a lot about politics and government and how it works and there are people who want to see power dispersed more and your argument would be it doesn't work. Yeah, my argument is not necessarily based on sort of that macro uh, argument. My argument is more focused. It's more based on um, best practices that cities are uh, are functioning under and experiences under the current system of government. So <clears throat> as the son of a mayor and someone who... Um, I mean, what, what can't you do that you want to do well, as there's, mayor? Well, there's not much you can do as mayor uh, that you want to do. In other words... Uh, the, the current structure uh, only gives a mayor four powers, discrete powers, essentially. They're all derivative of some commission involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, you get to name the manager. Mm-hmm. So you go all, you go through this whole The manager process. who's in charge of all the money. Who's in charge of everything. Right. I mean, basically, who's the CEO of the company. Right. So you name the manager, but you don't. the manager doesn't have to listen to you once exactly. the manager's been named. And it's worse than that. If you tell the manager what to do, you can be removed from office and you can be charged with a third degree misdemeanor. So, I mean, it's, it's insane that you go through this whole process process of an election for two years you gain the people's confidence presumably and well, if you, you win if you win and i won by 86 percent. and so you you presume that the people have chosen you to lead their city and then they come see you and oh i can't i really can't do that for you and i can't tell the guy that i chose who by the way i have to choose a guy now or, or a woman or i have to choose a person subsequent to my election to run the city why not me you chose me and that person is not accountable to the people because um 
they weren't elected by the people, they're not electable by the people, and they're not recallable or anything. There's no democratic mechanism to, uh, there's a political mechanism to get, to change the person, but not a democratic mechanism. So that was one of the first problems. The second uh, problem is that uh, when you look at the history of the system of government, since its inception in 1997, um, you see that, uh, so Let's put aside the philosophy of government. Let's look at the history of it. Um, we've had 15 managers in 21 years. 15 managers. And I sort of jokingly say that. And many fewer mayors than that. Oh, yeah. yeah. We've had, Four, uh, so yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. So so there's a stability issue there. And I, I jokingly say that we've had uh, almost more managers than the Dolphins have had quarterbacks since Dan Marino. Dolphins have had 18. We've had That's 15. That's a good Florida joke. That's Very it. close. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Florida, yeah, the Miamians would get it. Uh, not too much success, unfortunately. Hopefully, we'll have some success this year. And there's eternal optimism <laughs> in all of us. But um, so the stability, you know, if you look at the history, it has not been a stable system of government. But that's uh, the thing that ends up happening is power always goes somewhere. Right. Correct. Uh, and I remember years ago when I used to cover politics in New York, there was a guy who was the district attorney in Manhattan, Bob Morgenthau, legendary guy. He's like 98 years old, still around. But he was running for another term at 87 or something like that. Um, and I said, well, doesn't it you have to run again? Like, do you think like maybe there should be appointments for these jobs? And it's a district attorney and legal stuff. And he said, you know, I would rather trust the people Absolutely. than one person. There's accountability that way, which, you know, he's a politician running for office. And it's, I guess sure. what you say at that point. But it does, it, even when you take uh, the power and move it away from the people who had it, someone else gets it. And that's, that's what happened here. Yeah. And it's a problem because the person that gets it is not accountable. It's not selected yeah. by the people. It's not accountable to the people. Can't be removed by the people. Yeah. And it's, so to me, it's a little bit anti-democratic. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, the third thing is that when you look at the major cities in Florida and across the U.S., they all have strong mayors. In other words, um, in Florida, I've visited with all the mayors, uh, Mayor of Orlando, Buddy Dyer, Mayor of Tampa, Bob Buckhorn, uh, Mayor of Jacksonville, Lenny Curry. Uh, by the way, different from different parties. Um, mm -hmm. and, and then you look at uh, the 25 top cities in the U.S., 70 percent of them have strong mayors. Um, and, and the other problem that this system of government has is that it's very... Uh, you know the, the legislative powers and the and the administrative powers are not segregated. I mean, I think that <clears throat> you shouldn't have a situation where the mayor uh, selects a person that's got to be ratified by the commission. The commission can fire that person, yeah. irrespective of how the mayor feels about him, or the mayor can fire them and the commission can reinstate them. So imagine uh, a system of government. And by the way, it's happened. So mm -hmm. in Miami, <laughs> <clears throat> so. Imagine a situation where you're the mayor, you were elected mayor. By the way, the only citywide elected official because the commissioners mm -hmm. are district elected uh, through areas. And you fire your manager. You say, oh, it's not working out. You yeah. know, let, move on. And the commissioner says, no, 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 no. We like this person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we're going to force you to work with someone that we like that yeah. you don't like. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. All right. You don't like labels. You were elected in a nonpartisan election. But yes. you are a Republican. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, you're also a Latino. You're proud of that. Yes. Cuban. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, what is it like at this moment to have both of those things be true uh, in our greater political situation? You know, it, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's actually interesting because, uh, number one, most of the work that I do, I'd say, it doesn't, I'd say it doesn't touch a large part of the work that I do. I would say... 95, 96, 97% of what I do. Sure, but it's you as a person, not like- Well, well let, me, let, me, uh, let me finish yeah. the answer. So the 3% that it does touch, I actually, I think it's actually favorable and I'll say, and I'll tell you why. It's it's so unusual mm -hmm. that it's favorable. 
In other words, people, again, because people like to categorize and box mm -hmm. and, and all those things, um, I become sort of a little bit of a unicorn, you know? Um, and so that is interesting, uh, intriguing to people. Uh, but for me, again, it, that's really more in their world and their mm -hmm. in their baskets of life. In my world, um, what I focus on is I, I know it sounds clicheish, but just solving problems. Sure. And I don't, I don't, I try not to, uh, not try. I definitely make it a concerted effort not to fall into those paradigms because um, it doesn't really help me. It doesn't really solve. It doesn't get me further, you know, closer to to the goal. Um, we're talking about county commissioners supporting me for mayor. That's they're all from three, sure. three different parties. Um, you know, I, I had a, I ran for mayor and I had the speaker of the Florida House supporting me, and I had mm -hmm. the minority leader of, of of the Florida Senate and minor incoming minority yeah. leader of the Florida House supporting me. So that's I end up with eighty six percent of the vote. I guess. Well, that, I'm proud <laughs> of that, you know, and I think uh, you know, I think they can all call me and, they, and I can call them. But you, <clears throat> yeah, Francis Suarez, yes, Republican. Who is a Latino Cuban? Has it been a challenging moment to for that to be true? Not at all. I mean, not really. Do you agree with what President Trump has been doing on uh, on the various issues that touch uh, the, the Latino community? Well, you know, I and I, and, and I want to talk about uh, like the range of that because sure. the Cuban stuff is important on this also. Sure. You know, I mean, I think, like you said, you know, I think there are some things that you agree on, some things you don't agree on. Um, I'm very pro-immigration, mm -hmm. having been uh, an immigrant myself from an immigrant family. So I, I don't really understand sometimes a national conversation on immigration. I think somebody said it very ably here at the press conference that everyone in the U United States, with the exception of Native Americans, mm -hmm. are immigrants. Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about? You know, I well, mean, so what's gone? What's happened here? I mean, and you're not only <laughs> you're and this, well, I, yeah. I mean, I'm the one who lives in Washington, I guess, right? Um, I, I think part of the problem is is a Washingtonian approach to all of this, you know, which is Donald Trump's not from Washington. I, I mean, he lives there now, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I presume most presidents are not from Washington. Sure. So, but he is. I, I mean, his whole thing is that he's the it's, outsider. It's, it's right? the Washingtonian approach, where it's 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 a it's a it to me it's a false. Uh, you know, dichotomy, you mm -hmm. know, where you're either this or you're that. Right. There are things, many things, many of the problems I think would be better served and better resolved if we stopped looking at it from that lens. Yeah, I mean, I, it just seems like immigration beyond no the partisan brainer. part of it. it you, you're, uh, in addition to your own background, you're the mayor of a city that is dependent on immigration, powered by, by immigrants uh, sure. all the time. By the way, my dad is an independent. At one point, he was a Democrat. He's been in all three different parties at one point or another in his career. Um, so it's not a, it's not unusual. It's just uh, a reflection, you know, potentially. Because of, there, there, there seem to be larger trends of Latinos moving away from the Republican Party now. That's why I was, and, and especially younger Latinos. And, and I would right? say that that trend uh, has been there for a long time. You know, for, Do you understand for, for decades. That? Sure, sure. And and as a mayor, um, I can tell you that um, there are a lot of issues. Uh, where uh, if you were to classify the issue or pigeonhole the issue, which I hate doing, but if you were to do it, I would you would say that my agenda has been very liberal. You know what I mean? Affordable housing, um, you know, gun violence, and and you know things of that nature. Um, you know, but I, you don't think of it as liberal. You think of it as doing what needs to be done. I think of it as solving the problem. Yeah. I think of it as taking a pragmatic approach to getting things done. And I don't because I don't. I, and I don't care to be honest with you whether someone thinks it so, is. But or then not. Why, why are you still a Republican if if you feel like you're pursuing a liberal agenda? You know, I, I don't think about it much, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. I don't, you know. You registered, it, and that's, that yeah, was a long time ago. Yeah, I registered, ago, right? and I was 18 <laughs> years old. Uh, uh, I, 
I don't think about it a lot. I don't talk about it a lot. Um, you know, I get, I, I do get asked the question sure. every once in a while. Well, I, you know, this is a part so of the reason why I want to. my friends from the Democratic Party. <laughs> but part of the reason I want to talk to you is because you are uh, one of the younger yeah. Latino leaders yeah. in the country at this yeah, point, yeah. right? And um, whether you're Republican, Democrat, whatever, that's that in itself. Uh, it's an interesting moment for yeah. uh, Latinos all across the country. For Latino Republicans, it's uh, it seems like it's a challenging moment. Yeah, I mean, I think I think uh, we're we're definitely not the rule. Yeah, we're the exception, I would say. And I think, uh, but there are a lot of conscientious Latin Republicans, Cuban Republicans, mm-hmm. like Carlos Corbello, sure. who's a yep. you know congressman who I think takes a very principled position on a variety of issues. Around your age, right? He's is about it? my age, yeah. a little younger than yeah, I am. Yeah, a little younger. But we grew yeah. up together. Yeah. We're friends. Um, you know, but there's a lot of uh, people that I think that fall into that category uh, where they don't necessarily. Uh, approach issues on a partisan basis. They try to approach issues yeah. on a common sense basis. Yeah. Although he's facing a tough re-election campaign, right? Because that's the because nature of, of what, partisan uh, America, right? Like what ends up happening yeah. then is people say, "Okay, well, I got." <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's a that's a that's a flaw in our system. Frankly, yeah. honestly, I think a guy like that who has uh, who's so smart, who's worked so hard, um, uh, who's so well spoken in both languages, so articulate, and has such a good sense of of where this country is and should be, mm-hmm. shouldn't have a tough re-election. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he has a tough re-election probably has to do with that partisan. Yeah, no, it, forth, it's the idea know? that like it's hard to be a Republican representing a district like his, which is in South Florida, right? And and uh, is where a lot of Latinos and a lot of other people have been moving away from the Republican Party. Well, I'm not so sure that they were ever, ever there, but uh, <laughs> well. It, it, it was an easier race for him to run uh, before. Well, well, but that's different. That's for different reasons. Uh, yeah. That is, that's more turnout based uh-huh. than that is actually, you know, movement. I think of parties. There are some redistricting that, yeah. that there was some redistricting that happened. But um, what is fascinating about Florida generally is that they call it a purple state, mm-hmm. and it's purple because every two years it. it, it I feel it like it's not a purple play. state. It's a red state on the off years and a blue state usually in the presidential well, I, years. Oh, of course, but Trump what do you won get it when less. you. Combine, yes, red but it's and like blue. it's not. There are states that are purple, right? That it, but Florida just goes bounces back and but forth. But you know, the, but but even Trump winning Florida, I mean, it wasn't a large margin; it was a few percentage points, right? right? Yeah. So it could have gone theoretically either With way. Massive turnout against him uh, in, in your South neck Florida, of the woods, in South Florida, uh, and right. then massive turnout for him uh, up on north the, right. in the I four quarter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, and I think that's the dynamic of, of Florida. What's interesting. Are different phenomena, economic phenomena. Like, for example, somebody was telling me this the other day, um, a gubernatorial candidate whose name will remain nameless uh, <laughs> was telling me that, and I'm sure you can figure out what party it's from, is that, you know, somebody was telling me about, we're talking about the, the federal tax law. And said, so, you know, the federal tax law is pushing a lot of people to Florida and Texas because, you know, as we were saying at the beginning of the show, um, you know, you can no longer uh, deduct your mm-hmm. income, you know, state income taxes. And I think the Republicans probably try to do it as a way of punishing, you know, states that have state income tax. But the, the effect of it is that they're driving uh, people to states like Florida and Texas and they're making them bluer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll, ha- it'll have an interesting political, you know, consequence potentially uh, going forward, which I don't know was intended by those who wanted to punish. No, there you know, are various explanations that have been put forward for what oh, happened Oh, I'd love there. to hear yours off the <laughs> well, record. Well, I mean, I'll that. tell you on the record, there okay. are a lot of people who think that basically what happened is because Republicans were mostly doing that bill without Democratic input, That the, and so many of the Democrats are from the places that were affected, right. that they, weren't, they didn't have a seat at the table, essentially, to fight. Right, but I don't think their intention was to push Democrats no, I don't out think of those that, states no, no, no. <laughs> into states that were in play 
right? Right. And then similarly, with what happened with Puerto Rico, right? Like there's Democrats, there's right. this thought that by sure. now that a lot yeah. of displaced Puerto Ricans yeah. yep. who don't have the recovery there are going to yep. end up in true, right? Um, That's true. Is that going to change politics in Florida? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Tell me, so your father was born in Cuba. Uh, you proud of your Cuban heritage? Yes. That issue, and I, um, when I covered Obama, I was actually on the trip where he went to Cuba. Right. Um, spent a lot of time thinking about how that issue has changed. Spent some time in South Florida talking to people about it. How, do you think that we should have an open relationship with Cuba? Do you think that uh, Obama's approach was right? Do you think that uh, Trump's reversal of that approach is the right way to do it? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think Obama's approach was the right approach because uh, I think he he did not seem to get the concessions that were part of Helms Burton mm-hmm. um, that were needed or that were that were sort of articulated by Congress as a means mm-hmm. of. Uh, opening relations with a country that systematically um, represses its its citizens that is to this day um, still arresting political prisoners still doesn't you know respect the right of free press still doesn't totally respect the right of free religion so I just don't I mean you know people criticize the embargo because they say that it didn't really effectuate change well Neither has anything else. Uh, neither have this open. Well, up. the Obama argument was, uh, and make what you will of it, is right. it didn't work for fifty years. So let's try something different. Right, right? And, and that and hasn't then, worked. Well, I mean, since, and, right. and you know, there was like about a year <laughs> that it had to, um, before uh, Trump reversed it. So. I think they might argue, Obama might argue, like he didn't give it a chance to actually do it. Well, I mean, right? what you had was a regime change right around the same amount mm-hmm. of time. and uh, Yeah, just in the last couple months, right? Which, which was, Castro, right? right, which was basically a maintenance of the status quo. Yep. So I, I don't I don't think that yeah, it... Yeah, regime uh, change is not... It's just like the Castro is not quite being as much in charge as uh, they were. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think it's a maintenance of the status quo. And uh, so, look, I think, uh, you know, it's very difficult because the implications are not just... For Cuba, I think there's implications broadly for the hemisphere and for the region, like uh, Venezuela and on certainly Nicaragua, where you see Cuba's influence as a promoter of communism and and repressive dictatorships uh, expand hemispherically. Mm-hmm. So I think from a geopolitical perspective, you know, the United States has to really. Uh, figure out how they're going to deal with that issue yeah. in a way that um, protects uh, people in those countries from uh, being violently, um, you know, uh, treated with, you know, just utter disregard and violence and you know, Venezuela being a food, that, a company, that country that's starving, now, yeah. literally starving. The, the, what I, the numbers that I've seen, and I'm talking to people about this, is that there it was always, it seems like there's a generational change on uh, by and large, where people are in Cuba, older Cuban uh, Americans are very opposed to the yeah, opening, and younger ones are. And you are not. You are not with your uh, fellow younger no, Cubans. I, I, I think it, I, so. I would agree with that. Yeah. A general statement, and I would caveat it a little bit. And it, and the caveat is based on personal experiences. Oftentimes, you know, my 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 grandfather was a political prisoner. My uncle was uh, my great uncle. My uh, my grandfather's brother was a political prisoner. My aunt was shot by a militiaman in Cuba. Mm-hmm. So I think the trauma for my family is extremely acute. Um, I think as an elected official that represents citizens in the city of Miami, um, I, uh, you know, part of my ideology is shaped by by their feelings, mm-hmm. and I think uh, there's still a huge trauma. Uh, from citizens that feel 
that they were kicked out of their country, that, um, you know, they had to start in a country which was very embracing and, and, and amazing in its, in its uh, generosity, but really impacted their lives yeah. in a very serious and profound way. Um, many people succeeded, you know, beyond, um, beyond uh, those uh, obstacles. Yeah. And their kids certainly most likely succeeded. But, you know, my view of, so I have a very different take on it, which is I think the best way for us to criticize the Castro system is to create the best Miami possible. I think for me, the best Miami possible is the biggest indictment. Having a fluid democracy where we respect freedom of religion, freedom of the press, where we where we try to create an equitable society, an economically equitable society, which is difficult to do. Um, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're a city that's safe and that's the envy of the world. Mm -hmm. That's the best way for us. And that's what I focused on yeah. in my life rather than, you know, worrying about about other governments that I don't control. Um, let me ask you just a couple more. I know we're running short on time. Uh, you mentioned one of the candidates for governor. How do you feel about the governor's race in Florida this year? Um, I think there's a lot of good candidates uh, on both sides, honestly. I think um, the good news for Florida is that there, that there are a lot of good candidates. Do you want to uh, see a Republican win that or a Democrat win that? I, I want to see the best person for Florida win it. Um, uh, I have relationships on both sides. Um, very close to Mayor Levine mm -hmm. from Miami Beach, mm -hmm. uh, who's a, a, a neighboring Pretty mayor close drive. And, a fr and a friend. Um, have gotten to know Adam Putnam. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I do um, uh, know, I, well, I don't know Gwen very well. Mm -hmm. I just Gwen met, Graham. Yeah, yeah, Gwen Graham. I just met uh, uh, Mayor Gillum. Mm -hmm. Seems like a great guy, you know, has a, um, you know, very eloquent, uh, mm -hmm. well-spoken um so, uh, and DeSantis is someone that I've met and spoken to on multiple occasions. Uh, so, I mean, I think that it's a strong, a strong field mm -hmm. and whomever emerges, uh, is, is going to do, well. I think there was a new entrance into the democratic side. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, everything's getting complicated. Yeah, this is an easy one. funding. <laughs> I'll tell you this, I'll, I'll back up and say this, you know, I, I have a concern about, um, where this country is going. Mm-hmm. Related to, and I and again, and I, I don't I don't mean this as a criticism as an individual. I mean this is a criticism of our system. The self funding of political campaigns, mm -hmm. where people are putting in ten, fifteen, twenty, hundred, mm -hmm. you know, depending on the race, it's a big concern for me. Yeah, you it know, changes the way that things go. I mean, it 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 creates a a an oligarchy in effect in in our country because let's face it, if you can spend an unlimited amount right. of money to get elected, you know, uh, it's not a particularly level playing field. And, you know, there are campaign limits on things, but there's no limit on self-financing. That's the only thing. I mean, there's no limits on PACs either, but at least those are derivative of other people. Yeah. And, and they're also, they're also, um, uh, you know, they're also, uh, uh, you know, disclosed. Yeah. Uh, but some of them. Right. True. <laughs> true. But, but I think by and large, I mean, even people that are, you know, big campaign yeah. donors, they have limits on what they're going to give. A million is a huge, you know, yeah. political donation. 10 million is enormous, but no one's going to fund an entire campaign for somebody, 50, 60, 70 million dollars. It's a lot harder to do. Yeah. So it, it's a big concern. It's something that I think we're going to have to look at going forward. So the governor's race has got a lot of candidates on the Republican side and the Democratic side. The The Senate race has just one of each, really. Uh, so Bill Nelson, Rick Scott, who do you want to see in the Senate? You're shaking your head. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see one of them get elected. <laughs>
But why not? Why is that? You, one has been a senator for a long time. One's been governor for the last eight years. And they've both done a great job. <laughs> That's so, how you stay nonpartisan? Is no, it? I mean, I, I, I get along with both of them. You know, I mean, yeah. I, 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 you know, I've... Uh, I work with the governor, yeah. you know, um, continually. I mean, you know them both well. You I know do. how they work. I do. And they so both you work must, well. you must think that one would be better to be in the Senate. Why, why must I? <laughs> <laughs> there you go again, trying to pigeonhole, categorize. And I think that's part, look, I, I think as a voter, you have to make an ultimate decision without a doubt. I mean, certainly you can't just live in a sort of a Pollyanna world mm-hmm. where where uh, decisions don't have to be made. But I also fight back sometimes, and maybe it's because I was the mayor's son, you know, mm-hmm. uh, going back to that psychology, you know, you fight back a little bit of that, you know, you have to do this and you have to be into this category. You have to support this. And th- that's a political um, sort of, um, uh, I don't know, that's that's sort of the conventional wisdom that I don't necessarily feel like I have to be a part of every time that somebody else does. Did you vote for President Trump? I did not. Who did you vote for? I did not vote for President Trump. Did you vote for Hillary Clinton? I did not. Okay. Would do you think that President Trump has made it more likely that he'd have your vote if he runs for re-election in 2020? <sighs> ah, so long time away. <laughs> I mean, that seems to be the place where a lot of Latino Republicans are to bring it back, right? To bring what? To back? bring it back to the discussion that we were having about. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, a danger, right, for the Republican Party overall. Look, I, I, right? I supported Marco Rubio mm-hmm. um, for president. Uh, I thought Marco was dy- and is dynamic. Um, I, I thought he, you know, as a minority, um, uh, someone who comes from an immigrant sure. family, I thought it would have been amazing for the country to have, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a Cuban, pre- you know, Cuban-American president. Yeah. Um, he's, a, you know, he's a son of our community. Mm-hmm. Was the first. Uh, you know him, I assume, yeah, personally, know him personally, right? absolutely. Um, he was the first Cuban American speaker of the state house, Florida house. So that was a, that was a watershed mm-hmm. moment for the state and for, for Cuban Americans generally. So, um, you know, that's the kind of mold of person that I, um, you know, that I supported. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's not even getting into the substance or public policy issues. Really, that's more of the sort of style of somebody who I thought had a very good grasp on foreign policy. Um, I thought he was a compassionate person. Really talked about vocational uh, training as a means of of, of progressing our economy and equ- an equitable economy. But it's a very different situation that we have now. Yeah, the approach yeah. is very different, and it seems sure. like. Do you think? And we can end on this. Do you think I'm right to say that uh, the Republican Party has a, a a problem in figuring out how to attract Latinos and keep Latinos? I, I would say so. I don't think you're wrong in saying that. I, I think um, both the Democrat and the Republican Party have challenges in attracting certain demographics. And I think... But on the immigration uh, stuff, on the way that uh, the, the uh, approach from President Trump to people of color, has that, does that have lasting impact, do you think? I, I mean, I, I don't think right now the Republican Party is attracting Latinos or African-Americans in droves. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. That's a very like sarcastic way of putting it. No, it's not sarcastic. I think it's literal. I mean, I think it's you know, uh, I know in droves or like in, in any, in any, yeah. even in drips. <laughs> I think, I think you know, and and again, I think you know, part of it is we've got, you know, it, it, the Republican Party has to decide to create a platform and coherently disseminate it that talks and speaks to the issues of those demographics. And until they do that just like any other. I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything that's uh, earth shattering. No. You know, unless your politics speak to the people who you want to support you, they're not going to support you. Yeah. 
right. Mayor Francis Suarez, Great. thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. Suarez told me after we turned off the microphones that no one had asked him before for his thoughts about those questions on Latino leadership and the future of Latinos in the Republican and Democratic parties. Well, what did you think of his answers? Email me at isaacpolitico.com and let me know. Thanks, as always, to Zach Stanton for producing. Remember to subscribe and spread the word. And, of course, follow me on Twitter at Isaac Dover so you don't miss anything about upcoming episodes or other articles I'm working on. And catch you next time on Off Message. Off Message.